Join me every month for the inspiration to find your finish line. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Find Your Finish Line, presented by Curad Performance Series of Medical Supplies, the official supplier of Iron Man. I'm Mike Riley, your host. I'm so happy you're here with us today. This podcast, not only being able to find your finish line at a race or an event, but in life, we've got to find it every day, don't we? Every week, every month, and every year to keep moving forward and stay strong. And always teaching ourselves a lesson of finishing what we start. So hopefully the guests I have on this podcast will help you get there. And I've got a very special one today. Welcome Sika Hendry to Find Your Finish Line. Hey Mike, thanks for having me. You're welcome very much, Sika. Uh, we were talking offline about us meeting in 2017 at the Triathlon Business International Conference, and uh, you were up on a panel there. But before we get started on, on some of that stuff, I have, to, I have to go here. Here you were, high jumper at Tufts University. How did you get from there to endurance sports, both in running and triathlon. That's a that's a big leap, so to speak. Yeah, and it's something that my coach and I still, my college coach and I still laugh about because I did not really like running distance in college. I didn't even want to run a mile to warm up. So I showed no aptitude for endurance at all. <laughs> um, one of my roommates was on the cross country team. And I, I thought it was so crazy how on Sundays they would go out and run 12 miles. And, you know, and here I am doing all this crazy Ironman and ultras and stuff. But um, for me, it was just after college. Um, I'm so used to being an athlete and having like structure and races, like competitions every weekend. And I would say, I guess, like after a year or so from graduating, um, I got a little lazy. It wasn't working out. And so I just put on my bucket list that I wanted to try a marathon. And that's how it started. Well, there's nothing wrong with a marathon on the bucket list, but there's always that journey of, of moving up to that distance and then the journey of moving into triathlon. Uh, it's well known that you want to be the first female African-American to gain uh, her pro card. And you were going to do that at a race in Texas. You had a bike crash, which was horrific. I want to talk about that in a, in a little bit. But, uh, you know, when when we go through... Uh, different things in our lives and go from one level to the next or to the next. You've also got to go there mentally. How were you able to to do that? Obviously, you say, okay, I've got to put more training in than when I was in college to be an endurance athlete. But how do you mentally prepare yourself for that? Or how did you? Um, I think I was a bit naive, um, even when I stated that I wanted to be the first African-American woman to turn pro in triathlon. Um, I had actually said it on that panel in 2017. That was the first time that I ever like actually spoke it publicly. And at the time, I think I had only done maybe two half Ironman. So um, I just started working with a coach uh, at an elite level. I had no idea that people trained twice a day, every day. I didn't know that people were training like 20, 25 hours a day. So I don't think I entirely knew what I was getting into when I went down that path, but I was committed so, and I still am. So um, I think I just said, let me explore and see how it goes. And I think for me, like competing, it helps um, keep me motivated um, whenever I do a race. And 
I don't maybe do as well as I expect, or like there are women that are ahead of me that are like absolutely killing it. I'm like, okay, I need to, I don't know what they're doing behind the scenes, but I know that it takes a lot of work and a lot of practice and time. So I guess just, it's an endurance event. So just staying patient and be committed and stay consistent. Did you, did you, when you started putting in those types of miles, did I, you know, a lot of people say, well, I feel so much better about myself. I didn't know I was going to be able to accomplish that. Uh, any naysayers that were out there, I kind of proved them wrong. Did you feel that was going on through your journey of becoming a triathlete? Uh, no, I thought it was crazy. <laughs> I, still think, <laughs> I still think this sport is crazy. I love, I love your honesty. <laughs> no, this is this stuff is not normal. <laughs> like, you know, it's still early in the season. And, you know, Saturday I rode 80 miles and had to run at race pace off the bike. And then, you know, you'd think you'd be done. No, Sunday I had to run 15 miles. And yeah, no, I don't think any of this stuff is quite normal. Um, I, I feel like I'll never get used to it. And um, my good friend, Kelly O'Mara, uh, editor-in-chief at Triathlete Magazine, I remember I was at a conference and she's a pro and I asked her, I'm like, does this ever feel normal? Like, are you ever not tired? Do you ever feel like, okay, like I'm getting used to this? And she's like, no, Sika. <laughs> like, we're all just secretly like fatigued and learning how to balance it and stuff. But um, I think when you do have that, you know, it doesn't happen very often, but you have a really killer workout where it's like, okay. Uh, there's some hope there um, or or a race that you unexpectedly win. Like um, the second marathon I had ever done, I unexpectedly won it. And it's like, those are the things it's almost like a carrot dangling. Like, okay, what more? Like you get addicted to that feeling. And I think that's what keeps me going. Yeah. You know, with the progression as it gets better and better, obviously the, the mind's going, all right, I can, I can deal with this a little more. You know, I was, I was on the podium and, but you did have a setback in April of 2019 at Ironman Texas, 70.3, a, a tough bike crash. You broke your nose. You had like 40, 45 stitches. Uh, and, and you really didn't remember what happened as most of I've been in those types of crashes and go, what happened? I'm glad I didn't realize what happened. Right. But you didn't. You know what, CK, you didn't need to come back. You didn't need to, like, oh, my gosh, I've got to get back on a bike and do that. Did you take a while and sit back and go, all right, I've got to reevaluate what I'm doing here? Uh, when I first saw what I looked like when I was in the um, the ER and I saw what I looked like and the extent of it, I mean, I had road rash all over my body and, you know, I had to go see a bunch of doctors and do neurological tests. So I was trying to comprehend how bad things were. So, of course, my immediate reaction was I'm done. Like, this is not worth it. This is crazy. Like I'm done. Um, but then it's crazy because only, I don't know, a few days after it happened, I decided that, um, I did not want to quit. Um, I was really lucky in that I received so many amazing messages and, um, from kids and people in the community, people of color. And I'm like, okay, like diversity is important. Representation does matter. And I feel like I can't quit just yet. Like I still felt like I, I wasn't done yet. So, uh, no, within a week, I actually, um, signed up for 70.3 Augusta. (laughs) Yeah, which was what, like four or five months after that? Yes, exactly. Yep. So I'm somebody, I'm like, I need to get back on the horse and that'll start with a race. You know how many times I've had 
uh, triathletes come up to me after a hard race or an Ironman or a crash and go, I, I can't do this. And like a day later, Mike, I- I'm back. I'm going to do it. I'm going, whoa, okay. <laughs> you changed pretty quick. That quickly, yeah. It. Well, it's like when you cross the finish line, right? You're like, never again. I will never, ever do that again. And then, you know, you, you go home, you shower, you have a glass of wine. Then the next day you're like, all right, like what's the next one? So you won the Outspoken Women, uh, Top Women in Triathlon Award and that's given out to the pro or age grouper that's used, you know, your platform to be an advocate to make positive change in triathlon. Uh, and, and, you know, still wanting to be, and, and you're, you're going for it to be the first female African-American uh, professional in our sport. I, I have one question. Why? What's the underlying reason? Um. I made that goal pretty early on because, well, first it was to turn pro. And then when I realized that there had only been one African-American pro in the sport, Max Fennell, um, a male, uh, I just thought that was insane that, you know, here we are. I think I said this back in 2017 and now it's 2021 and the sport isn't you know, diverse at the pointy end, the really competitive end. And I do think representation is important. I've said before, one of my idols growing up was Dominique Dawes. I remember watching like the 1996 Olympic Games and she was just amazing. And, you know, she won the gold medal and I took up gymnastics because of her. And I was influenced by her and that image and seeing somebody that looked like me on that stage. And, you know, of course, now we have Simone Biles and Gabby Douglas and um, and I'm sure other people look at athletes. I've heard like people are influenced by Serena Williams and Venus Williams and, um, I think when you see somebody that looks like you doing these extraordinary things, you begin to think like, oh, I wonder if I can do that. So, um, I mean, if I could be that for somebody else, that would be great. And um, as you know, the sport of triathlon um, is just not diverse. There's only 0.5% African-Americans in the sport. So, um, yeah, I think people are missing out if they haven't tried it. I know it's changed my life and I've met incredible people through the sport. It keeps me, you know, healthy and driven. And, um, yeah, it's just, even with my family, like the amount of events and things that we've been able to attend together, it's just been wonderful. So if I could have that positive influence on somebody else, then. Um, yeah, but I think being outspoken about chasing my card and putting that out there and the, you know, social media and the publicity that I've received from that, I think it helps um, seeing somebody other than who looks like the typical triathlete. Right. I, I agree. And where do you think that push point or what I'll call the enter point would be for you to be able to uh, have that influence? Would it be going after uh, women or men of your same age or going after teenagers or going after youth uh, in the diverse market to be able to introduce them to the sport of triathlon? Where do you think that'd be? Because obviously a big barrier to triathlon for everybody is swimming. Uh, with the African-American community, it, it's a barrier. Uh, and, and, and where do you think you'd push in first to be able to try to make that change? I don't know where to push in first. I just follow my heart and what I'm passionate about. And before the pandemic, I got really into speaking at uh, elementary schools. I mean, these kids are really, really young and it was nerve wracking. I've spoken at universities before and um, HBCU, but speaking to young kids in the inner city, it was just, it's so much fun because 
they've never seen a triathlon bike in person. They've never seen a wetsuit. They don't know what an Ironman is. I mean, you can't describe it as three disciplines. You have to show them pictures of you swimming and then biking and running. And, um, and a lot of them have been through a lot of trauma, I found. Um, so showing them pictures of what I've gone through, like my crash and the injuries and coming back um, and what has come, like I've had so many blessings because of it, like staying strong and staying committed. I think getting that story across to them uh, makes a huge difference. Um, some of the questions I got from them, like they didn't realize that you could start swimming as a child. Like I took lessons. I think my parents put me in the pool when I was six months and they were like, you know, they're six years old. They're like, I'm too young to swim. Like, no, you're not too young to learn how to swim. So I wow. think it's opening their mind to what is possible at that age. That's fantastic. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And, and uh, I taught in the inner city here in San Diego. And what was amazing when, and I still speak to school children too, and like you, isn't it amazing the questions they ask? They're so much better than the adults. <laughs> what, when they ask these questions, because they come from the heart, they come from amazement. Uh, and it just, it just fills me. I don't know about you. The number one question I got asked is after, you know, I spoke in the auditorium and then they each um, dispersed to their homerooms and I stopped at each room. And the number one question I got asked was, how long did it take you to heal from your accident? Like of all the things that you can ask, wow. I was surprised that that was a question. Like, how long did it take you to heal? How'd you answer that? Just oh, well, at the time I was still healing because this was in 2019. Oh no, 2020 was when I started talking to them, so I was still healing. Um, yeah, I just told them that I, I listened to the doctors and I listened to my body. And when I needed to rest, I rest. Um, but I also didn't use it as a crutch. Like, oh, well, I'm injured, so I can't do that. And um, yeah, just like overcoming your fears of getting back on the bike. And of course they told me like, I've fallen on the bike and I have boo-boos and I'm like, see, but you got back on the bike. Right. So it's, um, helping them see things from their perspective, like in their little minds, what they've been through. It, it is. It's special. It's precious when you, when you talk to the young ones. Uh, let's, let's just go to, uh, Kona for a little bit. I know you did Ironman Hawaii. Uh, oh, you were an invited athlete with Hoka. What's that? I said, Oh Lord. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't we don't have to go deep into it because no, no, I think can, you want to. We can, but what does the race bring back memories? <laughs> I tell you what, it was an honor being able to bring you across that finish line, and I do remember it. Uh, and congratulations to you for that. Thank you. Because when all of a sudden they said, "Hey, how would you like to do Kona?" and Eric Gilson is a good buddy of mine too, so I kind of know the story. And, <laughs> and uh, I remember him saying your reaction, almost like, "What are you talking about?" Uh, but you got there, didn't you? Uh, yeah. Oh, when he first asked me, my reaction was, "Hell no!" <laughs> I had no interest in ever doing the full Ironman. I thought all you people were crazy. I'm like, "Is if the half isn't long enough?" Are you kidding me? And I'm just recovering from my crash and it's two weeks after my half Ironman and you know of course I asked other people I talked to my dad and my coach and you know the people that I'm really close to my mentor Dan Enfield and everybody's like are you kidding me who would turn down that opportunity like you gotta do it so I'm like all right it might take me all day I might be the last across the finish line which might actually not be that bad because I, I you know I see that part on tv so I'm like all right I'm good I'm gonna do this this is definitely a once in a lifetime opportunity and yeah it was worth it it was worth it, wasn't it? Oh, and and yeah. uh, you even got some, you got some surprise coaching from Dave Scott. That's not a bad, bad deal there, is yeah, it? Yeah, I know. I know. 
<laughs> yeah, it's like all these great things came from that, um, as my mom calls it, the crash, a horrible nightmare. But uh, yeah, I had a lot of wonderful things come from that, like working with uh, six-time Ironman world champion Dave Scott. Hold on, everyone. We'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Even after 40 years on the microphone at thousands of events welcoming hundreds of thousands of athletes to the finish lines, I am still in awe by the incredible endurance of each and every athlete and what you display. The physical exertion, the sweat, and the challenges you put your body through deserve a level of support that match your dedication. As the official medical supplier for the Ironman US Series, Curiad Performance Series lineups of wraps, tapes, bandages, supports, and braces give you, the serious athlete, and weekend warriors alike, the optimal support needed to keep moving, including new far infrared kinesiology tape technology, which reduces energy made through body heat, back to targeted areas to help you heal faster and enhance performance. So don't you let sprains and muscle pain hold you back, recover smarter, and shop the entire Curad Performance Series on Amazon. Sika, when you look back, uh, not only in triathlon or endurance sports or college or before, what, what was something that you failed at and you knew you did, but something that you learned the biggest lesson from? Something that I failed at, gosh. I don't know. I feel like I fail at everything I try at first. I don't know if I've ever been successful in anything. Um, I mean, even with sports, like I look back at my first Ironman, it was, I mean, my first marathon, it was an absolute nightmare. I did not prepare properly, didn't do enough long runs. I didn't do a half marathon beforehand. And I went into that marathon still confident that I was going to do well. And I hadn't practiced with nutrition. And before I know it, I'm walking and puking all over the course at mile 17 and barely dragging myself across the finish line. Um, But then I learned that, you know, if this stuff was easy, everybody would do it and everybody would do really well at it. So I went back and I followed a plan, a training plan. Every weekend I got my butt out of bed on Sunday morning and I did long runs. I started entering myself into 5Ks and half marathons. And and then when I felt really ready and confident um, that I knew what I was doing this time, I went and I did another marathon locally and I won it. So it just goes to show that... Um, yeah, if you put in the time and the work, the proper time and work, um, that you'll, you'll shock yourself. So I would say that, yeah. Well, your 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 answer is so true because we have these mini failures all the time, every day, and and uh, we just have to come back from those. Because I heard a great quote years ago: "You're not a failure if you fail; you're a failure if you learn to." Uh, you know, learn from those experiences if you don't learn from them. So you're definitely learning from them all the way from uh, uh, to that marathon win. I love that. Don't you, when you're out there speaking and if you get hired to speak, don't you donate some of your, your speaking fee back to uh, an organization? Uh, Yeah. 10% always uh, to the national black marathoners association. They have a scholarship fund. Um, and I met MBMA as uh, the acronym um, in 2015. Tony Reed, the president, he reached out. I had never traveled to a race before. Um, I had only done, I want to say, one marathon out here. And he was like, you should come to Dallas. You should come to this 
um, to our annual banquet and Mev Kofleski was there and um, a lot of really influential people, I would say, and people that I look up to now in the black uh, long black endurance community, um, Ted Corbett's son, Gary Corbett. So I went to this summit wow. and I learned so much black history behind distance running. I had no idea that Ted Corbett, um, you know, created the New York Roadrunners Association and he, you know, was an Olympian and uh, an ultra runner and um, I learned about Dick Gregory, um, how, you know, because of segregation, um, his, I think it was the mile record, it wasn't uh, acknowledged until he was able to finally integrate and race other high schools and stuff like that. So um, even Marilyn Bevins, the first African-American woman to break three hours in the marathon. So I'm just like meeting who's who and learning about the scholarship. And it had a really big influence, I would say, at least on my running career. Um, I wouldn't have chased a sub three hour marathon if it wasn't for Tony and the organization. So yeah, whenever I do any type of speaking engagement like that, I give back to that scholarship fund. Yeah, they're they're good people. And and oh my gosh, the best part you got that you got to meet Meb. You talk about a beautiful man, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. Yep, I met him in 2015. So, you know, when you're now, you're out there more. Yeah. People are seeing more of you on social media. They know what your plan is, what your goals and objectives are. Sometimes can that be a little intimidating that uh, so many have kind of got their got their eyes on you? Uh, no, nobody can put more pressure on me than I put on myself. It's not possible. So no, um, even the companies that I partnered with, I don't think they care if I get my pro card or not. Of course, they want to see that. But I think that um, the connection is more than a performance. So I don't feel any pressure in that way. Um, I do feel pressure from my parents. They're like, please just hurry up and get your pro card and like make all of this stop. <laughs> I mean, after my crash, you know, it was really hard on my mom. That definitely took a toll on her. And when I race, she gets oh, very, very nervous. And, you know, even my upcoming races, she's like, don't put it on social media. Don't tell people. Like, <laughs> So, they, you know, it's a little more difficult for my parents. But no, I don't feel any pressure. I know there are so many parents out there that feel the same way. It, it could be at an event I'm announcing and I, I I look around and I see moms and dads all over the place. And I always like saying, don't worry, mom and dad, we've got 2,500 volunteers out there for, and we'll take care of your son or daughter. And you should see it. Look, oh, thank you. It's, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so we, we just got to make moms and dads feel uh, good about it. But you know, you're not being honest. I mean, after you get your pro card, it's not going to get any better on them. You know that, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're like, just do one and then be done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and well, no, they didn't even say do one. They're like, okay, so once you get your pro card, it's over. I'm like, no, <laughs> like, what, get my pro card and never race as a pro? I don't think so. I feel like that uh, racing as a pro is way less pressure than what I'm, uh, and maybe I'm speaking out of turn if you talk, speaking out of turn if you talk to other pros, but I feel like what I'm doing, it feels more stressful than, like this is the hard part for me. Yeah, yeah, well, it, you're you're getting through the hard part just fine. You're gonna have that card before you know it. So how do you, you know, all of a sudden you started up in mileage and all that good stuff, but you work full time. You're in corporate world and and you've always been uh, very conscious of your of your work. How are you juggling both? 
Um, I struggled a lot at first. Um, I would say the first year or two, I really had to experiment. Um, I used to swim with a master's team uh, with the coach on deck and I would get up at 4.30 in the morning and I'd go there and then I'd go to work. And I found by like mid-afternoon, I was ready to fall asleep. And it was really hard for me to concentrate on work and then train again later on the day. So I actually had to, the, the benefits didn't outweigh the costs. So I had like, I'm not a morning person. So I really had to figure out what fit my routine best. And for me, it was training at lunch. I'm really lucky before COVID when I was in the office, we have a shower there. So I go out on my lunch break chain or train shower, get back to my desk. And then after work again, train, go home, eat, shower, go to bed. So for me, it was just really finding that happy medium, I'd say. Yeah. And and so many people do end up finding it, but they lose it again, and they have to refine it. It's yeah. it's never it's never a constant through the entire entire career. If you had a uh, age grouper come up to you, or someone who's a newbie and just starting out, what would be that first initial? Uh, what you feel is the best advice you could give them? Have fun. <laughs> as cliche as that sounds, uh, my very first one. I did have a lot of fun and I came in like last place. So I would say just don't put expectations on yourself. You know, it's hard for us, especially the more we get in the sport, we start having like time goals and place goals. And I think initially it's just like learning the sport and like going through the transitions and like all those little things, like figuring out your nutrition. So like really early on for me, it's um, almost like a math equation and just like figuring things out. So just enjoy it before it gets too competitive. Um, Cause yeah, once you start going down this road, it's a little different. <laughs> <laughs> are you, are you going to combine or, or keep that combination of, of doing triathlon Sika along with uh, running marathons? Um, I had to take a step back. So when I started working with coach Jonathan Karen, he's like, no more marathons. Like you really need to, my weakness is the swim and the bike. Um, he's like, you need to cut way back on the running. So after 2017, I didn't do another marathon. The only reason why I did one a few months ago was because of COVID. All of my triathlons had been canceled. So he's like, okay, well, we can revisit the marathon. And, and that's why I started running long distance and doing dabbling in the ultra scene and stuff. But now that that's over, um, my focus right now is back on triathlon. So you've done a bunch of 70.3s in Kona. I always ask everybody this, what's the funniest thing you've seen out there on a race course? Like in Kona? Yeah, or, or at any event you've been at. Something you saw and go, are you kidding me? Oh, I, I mean, just all of Kona. I was in such, I had no idea. You know, people were like, oh, the crosswinds are crosswinds. I'm like, well, where I live, you know, when I ride out in the country, it's pretty windy. Like, I get that. No, <laughs> I was like, okay, now I see what everybody's talking about. So in Kona, I'm like getting knocked around and then I'm looking ahead. I'm like, okay, people are leaning into the wind. Like literally like horizontal. And I'm like, this is absolutely insane. And we're like pedaling. We have to pedal hard to get down the hill. Like I've never heard of such a thing. Usually you just coast down a hill. So, I mean, just all of Kona, people said like, you know, you swim out 1.2 miles, you would swim around the boat and come back. It's not a little boat. Like you have to swim around a really big yacht. So it's just like, it was all very shocking. And um, I think like even the caliber of the field, like if you do your first Ironman, let's say you do Ironman Maryland, there's going to be like 
the rookies. It's their first Iron Man. And, you know, they're stopping, they're using the bathroom, yada, yada. And, and then you have the people at the front of the field who are going. But Kona, it's like everybody is just so professional and fast and nobody ever stops. So at the turnaround at Javi, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to stop and get my bag and I'm going to eat. And, you know, but then I see everybody just grabbing their bags and like as they're pedaling they're like pulling out sandwich like eating and filling their bottles and they're going and going I'm like okay I guess I can't stop so I'm like trying to mimic them so I would just say all of Kona was was an experience for me yeah (laughs) you know when when I listen to you it's like it was a now it's a funny experience because everything that came your way you're going they never told me this. They never told me this. They never told yes. me this. Yeah. Even getting off the bike, I, I'm like, how are people handing their bike and then running to transition? I'm like waddling, trying to get my feel. And, you know, as soon as I got in the tent, I just plopped down on the first folding chair I could find. Meanwhile, all the other ladies are, you know, you know, putting their running clothes on and grabbing snack and like they're in and out of the tent. And I'm looking at the hotel that I was staying at from the tent. Like, I just want to go back to the hotel. I don't want to run this marathon. <laughs> Yeah, but everybody, I have to let you know, Sika went, what'd you go at, like 11.35? Okay, so, uh, you know, it, it's not like you were out there for 16 hours. So you, you that that's a fantastic time for your first Ironman. I hope you realize that. Okay, you're actually the first person to say that, I think. So I think because everybody's just, everybody's just so good out there, you know? It's like, I, I felt like I was out there all day. And yeah, I just, and then... I do have expectations. And even though it was my first one, I was hoping certain areas, like in my mind, I thought I could run a 310 off the bike. So, you know, it took me, I don't know, three hours and 30 something minutes. So I still did have high expectations. So a lot of the athletes, after they get done, they, they come back and party at the finish line. Did you do that? Or oh, you just, yeah. did you? Yeah, with my dad. Mm-hmm. Yep. There was no oh, missing that. Me, my dad and all the Hoka crew. Yep. Yeah, that was That's a once fantastic. in a lifetime. Yeah, it was awesome. I know that that is that is a special special spot in the world and on that day and that night. Uh, well, I I have two more questions left. One is now that uh, you're an experienced in a lot of things in your life, what would you end up saying to your 18 year old self today? What would you say to yourself? Uh. Nothing will go as planned. Um, Whenever you think you're almost there, you still probably got another year or two. So just stick with it um, and try to enjoy the journey as much as possible and not try not to look so much as at the end result, which I'm still telling myself that now. Um, But yeah, probably whatever you expect to happen will not happen. (laughs) You know, I think when I was 18, I'm like, you know, in a few years, I'm going to be married and have five kids and, you know, have two dogs or something. And then, you know, here I am. So on this whole completely different other path. But you're but you're right where you want to be, right? I think so. Um, I yeah, I, I chose this and I chose it for a reason. So I wouldn't change a thing. Well, our, our last question is, is part of our, it's called tri-table racing. It's when you sit around the table after the race and you with friends and you're BSing about the event and what went on and out there, you know, because you all, you're, you're in that shared pain, that shared joy. 
if you could uh, reminisce about any event that you've done in the past and uh, give us a little shared joy of it, which one would that be and what would that memory be? Um, probably 70.3 Augusta. Um, that was my first big race back after my crash, five months after it. Um, yeah, it's funny when I first crossed the finish line. So I'm crazy. I, you know, I, I had a road rash and I couldn't swim because my, you know, I had all this surgery and my face was just absolutely destroyed. So, you know, it took me a while to get back into the swing of things. So, uh, the fact that I still sign up for Augusta and I'm like, I'm going to go there and I'm still going to try to get my pro car, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's just pretty funny. So, um, when I finished, my parents were at the finish line and I immediately asked them, like, what place did I get? And they said, you know, in order to get your pro card, you have to be top three. So they're like, you came in six, you missed three, third place by three minutes. And I'm just like, that's it. I quit. Like, I'm not going to Kona in two weeks. I'm terrible. I'm slow. You know, I'm standing there crying. So I kind of waddle off to the, the tent, you know, to like recover and stuff. And then I just looked at my dad like, I can't believe I did that. Like, that was just incredible. Like, I didn't know that I even had that in me. Um, so, like, I still feel, I still feel really proud of that. Um, you know, I went from, I'm not going to Kona, blah, 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 to, all right, let's pack our bags and go to Hawaii. And, like, 10 minutes later into that conversation. So, just, like, night and day. It's just funny how, you know, that, what we talked about earlier, you know, you cross the finish line, you're like, never again, I'm never doing that to, you know, complete 180. Well, that's a great, great tri-table racing tidbit on uh, memory. But I, I have to let you know something. Uh, probably through this podcast, you've said the word crazy uh, 30 times. But every time you say it, it's with this is enthusiasm. I'm crazy. This is crazy. But you keep moving forward. I just, I just love that. <laughs> It is. And so often I look around, I did a half hour man just last month and I'm looking around at everybody like, do they think this is normal? <laughs> What's going on in their head? I do that quite often. You know, I got to be honest, even in Hawaii, I'm looking around. I'm like, no wonder black people don't do this. This is just insane. So, you know, you got to make kind of light, make fun of it and uh, keep pushing on. It's it, it's a fantastic attitude. It's infectious. I I love it, you know. And, and my goodness, it, it, I feel like I don't. I've never met him, but I feel like I know your mom and dad. Where I can call him mom and dad. So tell him I said hello. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they're my number one cheerleaders, and it's so funny. My brother comes to these races too with his GoPro, and um, and after the race finishes, I go on Instagram. All of a sudden, I have all these followers, and I'm like, where do these followers come from? My brother's like, oh, I met that person. I told him to follow you, and I met. I mean, they just go around talking to everybody. They're the loudest people at the race. It, it's just awesome having them there that that is good nothing like that ohana support as we say in hawaii the family support sika how can someone you just mentioned instagram and everything how can someone follow you and follow your journey and and even communicate with you if if you uh, so desire uh, sure. Yeah, of course, through social media. I'm on Instagram. My handle is at Sika Henry, S-I-K-H-E-N-R-Y, my first and last name. I'm on Facebook and I have a blog that I started 
in 2014, I want to say, my very first triathlon, and I've been updating it every race since. So you can follow my entire journey through that, my crash, absolutely everything. Uh, and in terms of connecting directly with me, I also have a website. Um, it's uh, seekahenry.com, and there's you can uh, send me a message directly through there. Hang on, everyone. I caught up with Sika just days after this interview, and she has an update and some exciting news about her pro card. So listen to part two and enjoy. Sika, part two of this podcast. Congratulations on being the first female African-American to gain her professional card in triathlon. Way to go. Woo! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, that is so wonderful. Is it, is it like there's this big load off your shoulders right now after, you know, getting hurt, as we talked about before, and pandemic, and it, it just becoming so elongated, you didn't expect it. Is it a weight off your shoulders? It is. Well, the first day, it was just a relief. I would, wouldn't even say it was celebrating or anything. It just felt like a relief. Um and now, because I'm crazy, I'm already thinking about the next race. And <laughs> yeah, but it, it feels really good. It's surreal. It still feels a bit unreal that it actually happened. Well, walk us through a little bit, Challenge Cancun, and and uh, what went through your mind there. Obviously, you didn't know you were going to get your pro card until about an hour right. after the race with results and right. everything. But right. take us through, take us through the day of getting in that water with that one big goal of becoming a professional. Uh, take us through the day on what was going through that, that brain of yours. So, uh, before the race, I think it was the day before, maybe two days before I did a practice swim and the water was like pretty calm. It wasn't windy. I had an excellent swim. So I'm like, you know, I'm ready for this because this swim I really struggle with. Then, of course, the morning of, I wake up, I look outside. The palm trees are just blowing everywhere. It's really windy. My dad and I head down to the start and look at the ocean, and it's choppy. And I'm like, oh, boy, you know. Um, but, you know, everybody has to deal with it. So they lined us up, and because of COVID and taking precautionary measures, everybody was spaced out, and we went seconds apart individually probably more so than even some of the other races that I've done. Um, so I really had no idea. I knew I wasn't going to know what place I was in throughout the race because there were women starting way behind me, seconds behind. So um, when I got off the water, I was mortified by my time. It was probably the slowest swim of my life. Really? Um, but it was. But Why? I think... Uh, it was very choppy. The oh, the ocean, yeah, it was really hard. Uh, heading back, we were heading into a current, or heading out, it was into a current, and I had str I struggled a lot. And then we had to make a left at the buoy and head further out into the ocean, and that stretch was probably the longest for me. And then we had uh, a current heading back, but the way the waves were, it was like I would kind of coast and then get coast stuff back so it just felt like it was taking a really long time to get to shore so when i got out the water so my dad came with me for to this race he flew out and met, yeah. met me in mexico so i got out i looked at my watch he looked at the time we were both just like 
we'll just keep going. So um, the run from the beach to transition was actually pretty long. It was maybe like a quarter mile. So I think I made some time. I always try to just sprint to transition. Um, there were two different, there was transition one, which was at where the swim was and transition two was on the other side um, of the, I guess the strip. And I got on my bike and I spoke with my coach beforehand and we both decided like I was just going to go all out. Um, I was going to try to hold on to a pack, obviously spaced legally apart and, you know, six bike lengths. I think it was 12 meter draft zone or not a lot of draft. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got going with a pretty good group and I was actually having the bike of my life. I, um, was pretty, I wouldn't say carefree, but I felt a lot better than my my race last month in Miami where I was still very nervous and fearful of crashing and stuff like that. So for me, it seems like the more I race, the quicker I get back into shape. So um, yeah, it was windy. We had a lot of crosswind. The bike was three laps and, and the, bike, the roads- the, the bike is 90K, right? With- it was uh, 56 miles. I'm so bad with kilometers. Yeah, yeah you got it. That's it. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, it was 56 miles, and we were separated from traffic, which was great, but the road surfaces weren't that great. Um, I heard, like, Andy Potts got a flat. Um, a few other people crashed, and, um, you know, I was just trying to stay upright, and unfortunately, I hit a, a bad pothole, and my this was on the second lap, and my seat completely collapsed and there was no way that I could pedal like that. So I had to stop. And luckily I had uh, one of those uh, little miniature Allen wrenches on my bike. So I stopped, I fixed my bike and I had my watch on auto pause. So I lost three minutes on the bike, but once I got going, I, um, you know, just made it to transition two and saw my dad again and the run and it was, the hottest run I've ever done in my life. <laughs> it was like a hundred degrees. Hey, nobody, nobody said getting your card was going to be easy. Did it? <laughs> it was so hot, Mike. I mean, I've done Eagle man, I've done Kona. I've done Augusta. Yeah. This was by far the hottest run I've ever done. Um, wow. just no shade. It was, it just, it was atrocious. So, um, which kind of works in my favor because I tend to do pretty well in the heat running compared to other folks. So I was hoping that uh, people would start to come back to me on the run. And it was still really hard to tell because I couldn't tell who was a pro woman, who was an H grouper, H grouper and how far ahead, how far behind. So my friend, Alicia crawl, she did the race with me and she's qualified for a pro card a few times. So I knew if I could get as close to her as possible, I would probably be in the mix. Uh, She beat me by like 10 minutes in Miami. So I just started like looking at her at every lap, trying to like reel her in. And um, I did. And she ended up beating me by 30 seconds because she started behind me. But I crossed the finish line, uh, ended up in the med tent. (laughs) Why? Just because? Oh, overheated, just really hot. Yeah, really, really hot. Um, so I laid in there for a while and my dad kept just trying to check on the results and we ended up having to wait an hour to see if I was top three amateur. And then once it was confirmed, we just were overjoyed. You know, it was probably a long hour for you, but for your dad, it was probably the longest 60 minutes of his life after going through the journey with you. Right. Yeah, we weren't even, usually when you cross the finish line, you're just like, oh, I made it. And you're like excited. Like I couldn't even rejoice or feel anything. It was just, 
what place am I in? What place am I in? And my dad's, you know, running around trying to ask people and, you know, use the tracker. And it was long. <laughs> well, we, we've, we've discussed how the responsibility that you've taken on because you want, want to, uh, to make sure that we're as diverse as possible in our sport. Now that you are a professional, do you think the accentuation on you is going to even be greater? Do you, are you think you're going to feel a little more pressure or is it going to be that all that self-pressure stuff? Yeah, no, just self-pressure. I feel like for me, this was, this was what I've been working towards, not anything necessarily past this. Um, and I feel like because I accomplished it, I have more of a, I don't know, credibility and, um, a platform. I received, you know, yeah. calls from the New York Times and ESPN, and um, I'm trying to take advantage of all that and use that platform to get the journey out and um, just so people understand the why there's a lack of diversity. And um, yeah, I I feel like there won't be as much pressure on me to achieve what achieve more necessarily in the sport than what I have. Isn't it amazing when the big media outlets, they, they didn't really realize what kind of journey you've been on and it's been a long time and all of a sudden you become uh, a female pro of African-American descent. And it, to them, it's like it's happened overnight, but, but it hasn't happened overnight. And that's kind of the story you want to tell, don't you? Yes. Yeah. It's not an easy journey and there are lots of ups and downs and, you know, it's easy to look on Instagram and just post your race results. Um, but I've shared everything and, um, I I've posted like as much as I wish I could take back the crash, the accident that I had, it makes me appreciate this even more. Um, I don't think, I think if I had just gotten my pro card years ago and there was no story or no hardship or anything like that, um, this wouldn't mean as much. So the, yeah. the, the well worth it factor is there for you because of what you've gone through and what you've struggled with. Uh, yeah. and again, congratulations from all of us in the triathlon world. I think this is just Thank you. fantastic. So the perceptions of, of people looking at you in a different way, uh, what's the plan now for the future? Is it to, okay? We, we were kidding before. Well, I got my pro card. There, there we go. I don't need to do anything. But I'm done. I'm retiring. <laughs> <laughs> well, my mother asked me to. She was like, "Can we stop now?" And I was like, no. "She's like, yeah, we did it. That's the end, right?" Sika, can we take your bike away from you? Like, no, sorry, mom. I'll make my pro debut at Rep Three Williamsburg. Um, they're putting on yeah. a pro race. Uh, PTO is. Um, giving them prize money or helping, I guess, invest right. in the race. So, yeah, so that'll be my first race. It's here locally, which is great for me. I get to sleep in my own bed and have my family here. Um, we're doing a woman's brunch, a few of us, uh, hosting it to talk to the ladies and stuff who are racing. So, um, no, I guess it's not, it's the end of one chapter and kind of the beginning of another chapter for me. Um you know, I hope to still continue to share my story. And yeah, it's just, it doesn't feel like it's the end. It's just figuring out what's next. What's next, I'm not really sure yet. <laughs> yeah, and, and what I believe you're going to find out is when you do speak, like when you're on a panel or you're speaking one-on-one -on -one or to a group of, of people, your words, now that, now that you have that, you know, pro card and you're a professional, 
Don't you believe your words are going to become even more powerful for people to hear? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes. And especially, as we said before, the journey up to this point, when I would tell the story before it was, I was chasing this and then this happened and then the pandemic happened and I'm still going after it. But now I can finally say, like, after all of that, I finally, you know, achieved it. So I feel like there's more of a happy ending. (laughs) I mean, there's still more to my story, but in a way it feels kind of like a, a fairy tale before it still felt a little sad when I had to say, well, I still haven't gotten it yet and I'm still going after it and the unknown and not really knowing. Um, but I think like looking back onto when, when I've spoken to kids and at schools and stuff, I would always say like to get up when you fall down and to keep going and stuff. And then I think this is even more of a testament of what can happen if you just keep going at it. Well, it's almost like your story had this ending to it, which was in Challenge Cancun. But yet the ending is is such a huge beginning for you. Do you see it the same way? Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. I can't wait to see what's going to come from it. Um, I guess every time something big happens, I'm like, you, you just never know what's going to come, who you're going to meet, what type of opportunities are going to be brought to you. Um, yeah. And that's, I guess, sort of a blessing of just being in the sport in general. When I first started, I had no idea where it was going to bring me. And to see where it's brought me over the years is is more than I could have imagined. Well, Sika, again, congratulations from all of us. We can't wait to see what the future holds for you. Thank uh, you. I, I, can't, I can't wait to come hear you speak somewhere. And, you know, <laughs> I, I would really want to come hear you speak to a bunch of kids just to see just to see the look in their eyes and the awe in their hearts of, of what you've accomplished, because I believe you're going to pass this on to thousands, which is the best, you know, it's like the best legacy you could ever have. Pass it on to thousands. And that makes it real for me. Um, of course, you probably shouldn't read all the comments, but of course I have. Well, almost all of them. And, you know, like USA Triathlon put out a post on Facebook right. and, you know, there's hundreds of shares and comments. And then, you know, of course you run into the comments like, oh, why does everything have to be about race? And why can't they just say American? Why do they have to put, you know, black or African to it? And for me, it's because I am a black woman. I'm, you know, an African-American woman competing in this sport that has such a low percentage of, uh, you know, people of color. And, and for me, I've seen in person the type of influence it has, me sharing my story and through the crash, the letters that I've gotten. So in my heart, I know that it matters. And I try to remember that when I read those negative comments and the people who immediately want to just like, you know, write it off, like she hasn't changed anything. There aren't any barriers that exist. Like maybe, no, I've gotten very lucky. I haven't had, you know, the proverbial barriers in my way, but other people have. I mean, you know, my grandfather was a world-class athlete. He was a sub 10, sub 10 second uh, sprinter in the hundred mm-hmm. and an amazing football player. And he wasn't able to be a professional athlete because of segregation. So yeah, I grew up listening to stories of what my you know family has adored on both sides, both sets of grandparents and great grandparents. So to now be able to say like my, my father once said, um, yeah, your grandfather used to say, I, I thought there'd be a day where I'd see a black professional athlete. And I think about that often too. Like, I wish I could share this moment with him and be like, you know, look at me now. So it's important and it matters. You do know grandpa's smiling 
there's no doubt he's smiling, looking down upon you because what he foundation he set and what he went through is what you're able to accomplish. And that's, that's, uh, there's nothing greater than that. Thank you. Sika. Can't wait to see you out there at the races. Take care of yourself and keep pushing forward. Keep doing what you're doing. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> okay. Thank okay. you again to Sika Henry. Uh, an amazing story. The first female African-American pro to gain her professional card. Makes us all proud. Thank you again to Curat Performance Series, the official medical supplier of Ironman as a presenting sponsor. If you enjoyed this podcast or any of these podcasts, you can sign up to be let known about future podcasts. Uh, we're on Spotify, Instagram, Overcast, Apple Podcasts. Uh, and always remember, everybody, your actions define you. Have the greatest actions, and you'll find the greatest you. I'm Mike Riley. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.